Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Hey, well, good morning. Welcome to Vox Church. So glad to be with you. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here. Happy New Year's Eve to you. It has been uh, just a really exciting couple weeks for our church. I don't know if anybody made it out to the Christmas tour, but I did. And uh, man, I just want to say our creative team is awesome, aren't they? Like, I have nothing to do with the Christmas tour, so I just show up like all of you, and I'm like, wow, this team is awesome. Well done. So we did the Christmas tour, and obviously we're, we're ending our Open Door series, and, and so just excited, really excited for all that God has in store for us as a church and as a family in this coming year, and just really excited to be on the journey with you. So welcome to Vox. If you're new here, a special welcome to you. Glad that you're with us. If you've got your Bibles, turn to me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be just four short verses this morning. You can read along with me in your Bible or on the screen. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says this. He says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. One more time, let's pray. God, we give you this time. God, each and every single time we open up your word, we have the opportunity to leave changed. And so right now, God, we just pray by the power of your spirit, by the power of your word, that you would challenge us, you would shape us, you would encourage us, convict us where we need it. We open our minds, God, we open our hearts to you, and we invite you, we long for you to speak to us today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, that's a wrap on 2023, right? Another year has come to an end. Some of us, uh, we get to today, and we can think of all the ways that 2023 has been awesome. Maybe some exciting milestones have happened in your life, or maybe you just had some things to celebrate. Some of us get to the end of the year, and we're just glad we made it, right? You're just glad you made it to the end of 2023. You can't wait for the new year to start so you can turn the chapter, turn the page, and move on, right? I love the inevitable sense of expectation that a new year holds. The excitement as you begin to dream and wonder what the next year might hold for you, what might be in store. So many things unknown, but you, you know that there's you know, a new chapter for you. And, and this time of year, my wife and I always take some time and, and set some goals and dream a little bit, wonder what the next year might hold for us as a couple, as a family. And we have this bucket, bucket list of places that we want to take our kids before they uh, leave the house and go off to college. And so we, we'll typically sit and look at the list and think through which, if any of these, we can do this year. And, and many of them are, are places of adventure, like we want to take them to the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone National Park and things like that, maybe some other countries. But, but for a while, we've known that eventually we were going to have to brave the great wild frontier, otherwise known as the most magical place on earth, Walt Disney World. And even as I say that, the room splits into two camps. There's the one side that's like, oh, my, my guy. And then the other side that's like, have you seen my Mickey tattoo? You know? It's like the, the, the Disney World just it divides, you know? And so we knew that this was the year... My wife was able to do a conference down there, so we comboed the trip. Our girls are nine and six, so just about perfect timing to, to do Disney. It's still a little bit magical, but they're old enough to walk around for the whole day. And so we decided this was the year. And so we made the great pilgrimage to Orlando last month. 
And I realized as I was kind of headed up to the trip that you can't just go to Disney like you go to Six Flags. Six Flags, you can wake up at 7 a.m. and be like, hey, you want to leave in 10 minutes? And you go up to Six Flags. Disney World, you cannot do that, all right? If you do not plan ahead, you will not have a good time. And I began to realize there was this immense amount of, of just planning that needs to go in. There are travel agents whose full-time job is to help you plan your Disney vacation. And I knew that I needed some help. I knew I needed some help. So we have a few different families who are friends of ours who do Disney every year. They've got the entire process down. And so I sat with them, and I was like, help. It's like completely overwhelming, you know. And so they sit down. They go, oh, no, it's easy. Okay, here's what you got to do. you got to get your park passes three months in advance, 60 days in advance. The dinner reservation's open. Make sure you know when rope drop is. you got to plan for which one to hit first. And make sure you get the fast pass so you can get on all the rides. And if you want to get on the premier rides, you got to have your iPad open with the World Clock app so that right at 7 a.m. you can get on the premier rides or you're going to miss everything. And don't forget, you need those dinner reservations. If you don't get that, you're going to end up. And I'm like, my eyes are just like what? You know? And I'm like, do I have to do that? And they go, well, no. But if you don't, you'll miss out on so much. Like you'll go to Disney and you'll see it, but you won't really see it. You'll come home and you'll realize there was so much of the park and so much of the experience that you didn't get to be a part of. And I realized I was almost like a little anxious going into this vacation, wondering, I haven't done this before, did I get this right? Did all my reservations, did I get the park wrong on the wrong day? And I'm wondering, like, am I going to come home from this trip feeling like I wasted a whole lot of time and energy because I didn't plan right? I wasn't intentional enough leading into it, and so I actually ended up missing out on the greatness of what the trip could be. And thankfully, for the most part, the trip came together well. There was this one night, Animal Kingdom, it monsooned all day. You don't care about this, but we lost our dinner reservations, and I, I learned the pain because that night I was like, I guess we go out to dinner, and we didn't have reservations, and it was $200 for like a high school cafeteria for the four of us. I was like, Disney, Disney, you got me. But I lived with this, this low level of anxiousness, wondering, am I getting this right? And though I've never felt this way about a vacation before, I realize it's not an altogether unfamiliar feeling in my life. And as I've reflected on 2023 and, and the years perhaps that I have at times felt the same way about my life. I've wondered, God, am I getting this right? God, am I doing all that you've asked me to do? God, am I, am I uh, living out the calling? Am I utilizing the skills and gifts? God, I don't want to come to the end of my life and realize that because I wasn't intentional enough or not thoughtful enough that I missed out on all that you had for me and all that you wanted to do through me. And some of us know that anxiousness, right? You're just wondering, man, I'm, I'm just grinding out one week after another. God, is this all that there is? Because there are times when I read your scriptures and it sounds a lot more exciting than what my life is like. And you begin to wonder, God, am I living up to the calling and the gifting that you have put in my life? Now, for sure, if we're not careful, sometimes this feeling of anxiousness or angst, it can be created by people in our lives. You know, maybe you've had coaches or bosses or parents who just made you feel like you were never doing enough or like you couldn't live up to their expectations. You lived on this hamster wheel of performance, and that's an awful feeling. That, that's a really terrible feeling. But I think in its purest form, this desire to, to live the potential of the life that God has called us to is actually oftentimes an unction from the Holy Spirit that we are called to give our lives to the things he has asked of us in order to maximize both the calling of God on our lives and the calling of God in our lives. Here, here's what I mean. 
Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25. It's called the parable of the talents. And maybe some of you have heard about it. It's a story where this man gives three of his servants three different deposits. He asks them to hold on to them until he comes back. And two of them make good on those deposits. And and he comes back and, and he's kind to them and celebrates them. But one of them does nothing with it. And he comes back, and, and Jesus, in, the, in the story, the, the master treats him incredibly harsh. And what Jesus is using that story to do is to teach us that, like the master entrusted his servant with a deposit, that, that God has entrusted things to you and I. And he expects us to steward them and manage them and use them well. And at the end of the story, those who invested well and used what the master had given them He looks at them, and what does he say? Do you remember? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. I wonder if there are more precious words in the entire universe. I desperately want to hear those words one day, and I wonder if you do too. I want to get to the end of my life, and I want to know that I made my heavenly father proud Not because I was perfect, but because I leveraged my life for the good of the kingdom and for those people that desperately need to know that God loves them and sent a Savior to die for them. I believe that just like in this story, as the master gave a deposit to his servants, God has given you and I deposits as well. He gave us the deposit of his spirit. He takes his spirit, he places it inside our hearts, and he longs to walk closely with us. To live a a life where he lovingly guides us and leads us and cares for us as our heavenly father. Secondly, he put his divine creation inside of us. I believe that inside every single one of us, there's a spark that God has given you. Scriptures call that being fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139 says that God knit us together in our mother's womb. Such beautiful imagery. That God has created a unique DNA just for you with your own fingerprints your own skills and desires and gifts. He wants you to use those things to tell a dying world about him. And sometimes I just ask myself, am I doing that? And I live with that ache in my spirit sometimes, just wondering, God, am I, am I maximizing this one life that you've given me? I think if we went around the room, many of us would say, man, I, I, I would love to live that way. I would love to live walking closely with God, hearing his voice, walking with him. I would love to live in a way where I feel this profound use, that God is using me for his purpose. But I think very few of us would feel like at any given time, those two things are actually happening. Maybe a little bit, maybe here and there, but for some of us, maybe not even at all. You know, frankly, as I've looked back over the last year, 2023, I've realized that more often than not, I've been kind of meh in my spiritual life. You know what that feels like? Meh. You know, it's not like I'm living in egregious sin. I'm in the Bible most days. You know, my prayer life is there, but everything just feels kind of dull. Like the fire is just down in smolders. I wonder if you can relate to how that feels. And sometimes that really disturbs me. And I feel like, man, I really want to love God more. I really, I really want to hunger for him more. But there are also times when I'm kind of numb to that fact. And I don't even realize that I've stopped desiring God the way that I used to. And as I've begun to look out in 2024, I'm asking God that if there's one thing that the next year holds for me, is that I would live with a sustained hunger for God. 
And if you've ever experienced that, you know that thing in your gut that wakes you up in the morning excited to read God's word. That thing that drives you to communion with God through prayer. That you long for holiness in your life. Those areas of sin you bring accountability in because you want nothing more than to just see those done and rid. That you long to hear God's voice and that hunger that seems to, to drive us forward so often. It feels like my appetite is just suppressed. And so as I look out at this year, I'm saying, God, would you wake me back up? Because there was far too many times in 2023 that I just wasn't that hungry. And I don't know if there's anyone in here who can relate to that. You know, in the year of 2024, church, I am asking God to restore our hunger as people. Then in this moment of, of anticipation and excitement and expectation of what the coming year might hold, what I'm believing for is that one year from now, as we look back, and all that life held for us over the last year, the highs and lows, the victories, the defeats, things that we don't even know are coming, that the common thread running throughout the entire year would be that 2024 was a year first of presence and then of purpose. It would, it would be a year defined by two things, that we would walk with more of his presence in our lives and more of his purpose for our lives. That we'd look back on the year and realize that because of God's spirit working in us, that we would, we would hear his voice better and walk with him, and we would see how he uses us in greater measure. And that eternity would look a little bit different because of the work he did through us. That those he's put in our lives would notice that we're different and begin to ask questions about faith. And you'd be ready with a response to give the testimony and the story to Jesus. That's what I want at the end of this year. And I know in talking with so many of you that you're feeling that same thing. That ache in your gut that says, I just want more of you, God. And God, sometimes I just want to want more of you. What would it look like if this year, you and I, experienced that in new ways? If this coming year was defined, not just by professional advancements or increased income or a new job, but in renewed ability to hear the voice of God. And renewed ability to know that God is using you in powerful and profound ways. That you would look back and sense the satisfaction of a job well done as you gave yourself fully to God. Maybe for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time. And so the question we begin to ask, if we're going to set 2024 on that trajectory, if that's the place that we're, we're headed, where do we start? And in our text this morning, Paul gives us what I think are just three very practical things, three very practical steps that as we seek to set our, our year on that course, that if we can utilize these things, much like Paul seems to throughout his life, that they'll set us up for 2024 to be one of the most profoundly impactful years of our lives. And so I want to look at that together today. Verse 13, he says this. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. It's how he kicks us off. I wonder if there's anyone here who ever remembers using paper maps. Does anyone remember paper maps? You know, map quest. You'd print it out and the, the ink would, would smudge. So you'd be like, is that 3.7 miles or 11.6 miles? You know, I remember when uh, the great revelation came, the Garmin. Remember the Garmin that came out? Oh, man, game changer, game changer. Or if you, were, if you, you didn't have enough money for the Garmin, you got the TomTom. The -tom. Remember the TomTom? -tom? You know, it was like the JV version of the Garmin. It like only worked half the time. 
and, and you get in your car and, and you sit there for 15 minutes while it said connecting to satellites. And, and you would go out to your car ahead of time, start it so that this thing could connect to the side. It, it was, I think you lost time in the end, you know? And, and, and your, your vision was obscured. You couldn't see the cars on the road because you had a basketball right in your face. But at least you knew where you were going, you know? I remember when, before that, my wife went to Colorado State. When it was time to drive her back, I went to AAA and got 2,000 miles of paper. And it was like a novel, you know? So I was so thankful when it was time for Garmin. And I, I have forgotten over the last 20 years or so what it's like to be lost. What it's like to be lost. You know, with cell phones and cell phone technology, all that stuff, like, we're never lost anymore in the car, right? You can almost always figure out where you are. And last year, uh, I was up in northern Maine, right in the Canada border with our executive team doing a planning retreat. And we finished our day, and we go to get in the car, and I'm driving, so I, I open up my phone, and I, and I hit home, but home doesn't come up because the cell phone doesn't know where I am. And I panic. It's like, what do I do? I don't know where to go. And, and, and so I literally had to just drive around aimlessly for about 45 minutes until my cell phone could pick up uh, service to figure out where I wanted to go. So you can't make a plan about where you're going to go next if you don't know where you are right now. Similarly, some of us are making you know, health changes going into 2024. You want to move a little better. Maybe you get a personal trainer. What's the first thing that they're going to do? They're going to establish a baseline, get a sense for your overall health so that they can make a plan for you as well. Paul tucks a little accounting word into this phrase here, a word that leads us to reflection. Here's what he says. He said, I do not consider. Now that, that word doesn't quite get it. Uh, another translation says, brethren, brethren, I do not count. Paul's using an accounting word here. It's like to take account. The way that you would evaluate your budget, evaluate your bank account, kind of get a sense for where the status of things are. And so what Paul says here in verse 13 is he says, listen, I have looked at my life, I have taken an account, and because of that, I have realized that I am not there yet. And the problem for so many of us is that we don't make time and space for reflection. We don't know how we're really doing right now. And so as we look out at the landscape of 2024, we don't know how to create a plan as to where we're going to go because we don't know where we are right now. Life is so full and so busy that we're just getting up in one day after another. And when someone stops to ask you how you are, hey, how you doing? We say good, but we actually don't even know what we mean by that, right? Like if I was to ask you, hey, what is one of the most significant struggles in your, in your emotional life right now? Many of us would be like, uh, I hated how the cliffhanger was on that Netflix show. You know, like reflection, reflection, take an account. Our lives are so full and so busy that reflection is so often one of the first things to go. It feels like a lux luxury that we don't have time for. And I know how busy life is. I'm not trying to judge you. But what Paul is driving us to do here is to, before we do anything else, before we launch into the landscape of 2024, before we start making plans and resolutions and all these things, is to stop, retreat, and pull back and simply ask the question, how am I doing? Where am I in my walk with God? What's the current status of my relationships? I read a book this summer called, Are You Really Okay?, so helpful because so many of us, we think we're okay, but we've never actually stopped and taken some time to consider, am I though? Am I? Super practically this morning, here's the first thing 
that if Paul was here, he would tell us to do. Listen, you have to take an account. Before you can do anything else, you have to take an account. Paul lived with this insatiable hunger for God. And I love how he's never content with where he's at. And yet, so many of the ways that he stokes that fire for God that you and I so desperately want are these simple things that we're just neglecting to do. And so the first thing that I'm going to urge you to do, very practical again, sometime in the next two or three weeks, I want you to find an hour, maybe two hours, and I want you to sit and pray and think. And I want you to ask God how you're doing. And maybe you've already got a process for doing this. If not, I'm going to walk you through a really simple one. But maybe you've got a flow and a a document you use. That's fine. But if not, I want to encourage you. Get a pen, get a journal or a piece of paper. Get quiet and walk through these four areas of your life. Asking the Holy Spirit to bring clarity. Because if we're going to make a plan for where we're going in 2024, we can't do that until we get a, a baseline, until we understand where we are right now, until we take an account. And so here's what we're going to do. If you haven't been taking notes yet, now's your time. I want you to take notes on these things. Four areas that I want you to consider thinking through. The first is my time with God. Ask yourself, am I making regular time for prayer, for scripture reading, for reflection? Am I making space to hear God's voice through intentional Sabbath and rest? Remember, it's been said, we make time for what we value the most. A lot of us live with this sense of, I don't have enough time to spend with God. But the average American adult spends two hours watching TV a day and another two hours on social media a day. I think in reflection, we'll discover that time is not as limited. It's a question on how we're using it. Second thing is this, start with time with God, then inner life. Your emotions, your heart, ask yourself, am I living in peaceful trust in God? Or is my heart riddled with ongoing fear, panic, anxiety, worry? Am I harboring any unforgiveness? Is my life marked by purity and holiness? Or are there sin issues that need to be addressed this year? See, what these questions are prodding at, is if you're anything like me, you felt that suppressed appetite for God. And what you're trying to do is figure out why. And you're asking the Holy Spirit to begin to show you what are the things in your life that are keeping you from hungering as much as you should. Third is this, meaningful relationships. Am I sharing life with anyone? Does anyone truly know me? Who's challenging me? Who's holding me accountable right now? Are there any relationships that need to be mended? or ended this year. The last thing is this. I want you to consider E, eternal purpose. Am I investing my life in other people? Am I sharing my faith regularly? Is there anything I'm doing that lasts beyond my life that has eternal purpose? And as you spend an hour or two just beginning to think through those things, what are you doing? You're taking an account. You're considering, as Paul instructs us to do. And So what's the first step we're going to do? We're going to create time for time. See, I want you to notice that time for God, inner life, meaningful relationships, eternal purpose, they spell time. See that? Hold your applause. I know. I know. I know. So we're going to create time for time, okay? Cheesy, but hopefully it helps you remember it. Sometime in the next two or three weeks, I want you to pull away and just walk through those things so that God can show you. Man, here's, here's, he put his finger on a few things that have been suppressing your appetite 
for him. What do we do next? Verse 13, pick it back up. Brothers, I do not consider, there it is, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. At first glance, this seems really strange. Because follow the line of thinking here. So Paul says, okay, so I, I took some time to consider, and then as soon as I was done considering, I forgot it. We read that and we think, mm, that sounds stupid, Paul. Like, that doesn't really make sense, you know? But what Paul's actually getting at here, as you read his letters, Paul takes plenty of time throughout other letters to list negative things from his past, positive things from his past. He's not telling us to wipe our memory in any sort of way about that. A better way to understand what Paul is driving at here is, is to neglect to care about, to move on, to release it. To choose not to focus on something any longer. As the great theologian Elsa would tell us, let it go. You got to let it go. Okay, I still got Disney on the mind. It's burned in there once you go. If you were here a few months ago, I told the story of a failed triathlon in which uh, me and some friends did it. And if you weren't there, the summary is basically this. You're supposed to start with a swim. I decided to start with the sink. And that was it. The race was over, all right? And so what does it look like? There's no chance of me wiping my memory. My friends, Justin, Joey, all of them will never let me wipe it from my memory. But I can choose to forget what lies behind, to release the embarrassment of that moment. And that's the, that's the essence of what Paul is getting at here. He's not telling us forget all that has happened in your life, but live in such a way that you learn to let it go. Why does Paul press us on this? It, it honestly feels like a bit of a left turn when we read the text. I believe that Paul tells us the first thing to do after you take the account is to get ready to let things go because he knows, as you and I have experienced so many times, that the first moment you start moving forward, you can expect pushback from the enemy. And we've felt that in our lives so many times, haven't we? And Paul knows that, that guilt and shame are two of the devil's strongest tools to keep us from moving forward in our relationship with Christ. Feelings of failure, Feelings of unworthiness. Feelings like, man, 12 months ago, I did this same thing. In my year, I fell back into the same old junk I was in before. And yet, get this. Paul knew what that was like. See, we forget sometimes that Paul had a terrible past before he walked with Jesus. That Paul helped murder Christians. That he went around... Uh, pulling people from their houses, throwing them in jail, all because they love Jesus. And now, he himself is a lover of Jesus. Imagine the pain and the regret that Paul must have had. Maybe you know the, the pain of hurting someone that you love. Imagine what Paul had to, to wrestle with. And yet, over and over, Paul is able to move through that guilt and shame. How did he do that? I believe he let the gospel penetrate his heart so deeply that it burned out the dark corners of sin and shame. That he was able to allow the gospel, not just to, to wipe it from his memory. Because remember, he, he wrote to Timothy, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But the gospel superseded that. He allowed the forgiveness and grace and the full payment of Christ's sacrifice to be the reality that he decided to live in. No matter how heinous his crimes had been. I don't know if you're familiar with the double jeopardy clause. It's a part of the Fifth Amendment in the Constitution. And it essentially says that you can't be tried for the same crime twice. And I don't know if you love a, 
a good uh, law show, maybe like a Law and Order classic, chung chung, you know, we've all heard that. I love watching those. And sometimes, you know, the, the perpetrator gets caught and everyone knows he's guilty and he's standing there on trial. And the prosecu- prosecutor is just hammering this person over and over and over again from all these different angles, talking about his guilt and talking about all the things that he's done wrong. And eventually the, the perpetrator breaks and you can see just the shame on his face and the guilt and so embarrassed. And the verdict comes in, guilty. And he's hauled off to jail. And I believe that Paul knew that many of us would be living in a sim- similar courtroom to that. You know the devil, one of his... Names is the accuser. And similar to that prosecutor, we sit in the chair as the devil just reminds us of our past sin, reminds us of our past guilt, reminds us over and over about all the things that we've done wrong in the past. And some of us are just sitting in that chair as the devil says, you've tried this before. Don't even bother trying to make change in your life. You're nothing but a screw-up. But this year is different, my friend, because this year you remember That Christ walks into that courtroom. And because of the double jeopardy clause, he says, listen, these sins and these crimes have been paid for once and for all at the cross. My son or my daughter sitting in that chair, you are free to go. You are free to get out of that chair, walk out of this courtroom, because it is not held against you any longer. Your sin is not held against you anymore. Colossians 2 says it this way. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sin, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus would remind you today, you don't need to sit in that courtroom any longer. That because of his blood that has been shed for you, the past is able to be just that, the past. And as you look out at the landscape of the next year, you can do so with anticipation and newness because your, your new chapter is not defined by your last chapter. That your past mistakes don't need to define your future. That if you're still breathing, your story's not done. That God has more for you. And I just wonder how many of us have allowed ourselves to be defined by what was instead of what God is calling to and what will be and what is. Freedom in Christ, seen as righteous from God the Father, saved, set free. And if it's time to you, time for you to get out of that courtroom. And so the second thing Paul's going to push us to do is this. is to leave your past mistakes at the cross. So often, we get stuck in this step. And the first mistake we make, we start believing that this is just the same old me. Same old one who just falls every time I try and make change. I slip back into that old sin. And God would just remind, I think that's why Paul put this here. In this seemingly left turn, he goes, listen, if you are going to move forward, you need to be ready to wield the truth of the gospel against your past sin. Romans 8.1, memorize it. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've had to memorize that so many times because I feel these feelings of shame and guilt and unworthiness, and I realize that's not from the Father. There is now no condemnation, and I bring my insecurity to the cross. I bring my feelings of shame to the cross, and God picks me up there and puts me back on the path, and I keep moving forward. I know this is easier said than done, You'll need some weapons. You'll need to find some scriptures that speak directly to your situation, your fears, your insecurities. But this year, wield them. Wield them because the attack will inevitably come. And if you're not ready, you'll get knocked backwards and you won't get off the ground. And another year will go by where you're not taking ground and advancing into the calling of who God has made you to be. But this year, you come ready 
with God's word at your lips and you push back on that attack. Point three is this. Philippians 3, Paul keeps writing, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's used the illustration of a runner or an athlete before. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he writes this, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do, not, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What's he describing here? He's using the imagery of an athlete to describe what it looks like for us to pursue God. Athletes those days, and still today, they lived with single-minded focus, a runner just singly focused on the prize, on the race, or an athlete who for months before the Olympics would spend time in their diet, in their, their nutrition, their sleep, everything dialed in with the goal in mind. And the question that Paul is, is just pressing us to answer is this. Do you and I, as followers of Jesus, live with the same determination and focus in our relationship with God as an athlete does in their sport? It's a hard question, isn't it? And far too many times over the last year, over the last 10 years, I've realized I don't. That I prioritize things over him. See, I think sometimes I, I thought, you know, all I had to do was say yes to Jesus and everything would change. And in a sense, that is true. Upon receiving grace and faith, God puts his spirit in me and things begin to change. That, that my desires, my priorities begin to change. But if I stop making any effort, my plateau, my growth in God will very quickly begin to plateau. It's like a healthy marriage. Everything changes on that wedding day. But as soon as the couple stops working and stops growing and stops changing, that marriage begins to lose its health. In the very same way, Paul would beg us, do your part, <laughs> simply. You know, real change, I believe, requires the partnership of God's spirit and our effort. Real and lasting change requires the partnership of God's spirit and our effort. Listen to how Charles Spurgeon describes it. He says this, the condition in which a believer should always be found is that of progress. His motto must be onward and upward. Nearly every figure by which Christians are described in the Bible implies this. It is always a growing process. Is the Christian described as a pilgrim? He is no pilgrim who sits down as if rooted to the place. They go from strength to strength. The Christian is compared to a warrior, a wrestler, a competitor in the games. These figures are the very opposite of a condition in which nothing more is to be done. They imply energy, the gathering up of strength and the concentration of forces in order to the overthrowing of adversaries. The Christian is also likened to a runner in a race, and that is the figure now before us in this text. It is clear that a man cannot be a runner who merely holds his ground, content with his position. He only runs aright who each moment nears the mark. Progress is the healthy condition of every Christian. So once we take time to consider and reflect, we create time for time, as we said, we get a sense for where we're at. What are the things that are positive in our lives right now? What are the things that are holding us back? What are the things that don't please God that we want to leave behind in 2024? We get ready for the inevitable attack as we begin to go forward. And the third thing is this, super simple. We prioritize the plan for spiritual growth. Prioritize the plan. 
You know, there are so many different things that are pulling on our time and our energy, your attention this year. Maybe you've got physical goals or financial goals or professional goals or family goals. All those things are fine. But what would it look like if you ran like an athlete, singularly focused, determined to grow your life in God above all else? First and foremost, I am going to grow my life in God. Before I give myself to getting better at my job, I'm going to grow my life in God. Before I give myself to all these other areas, I'm going to grow my life in God. Then I prioritize it above all other things. Prioritize the plan for spiritual growth. It's not pretty. It's not going to wow you. It's not going to shock you. But it will grow you. It will change you. And if you'll allow God to speak to you, to challenge the areas in your life that are holding you back from him, and every day you take one step forward, and that day turns into a week, and that week you grow and grow, and that week turns into a month, and that month turns into 12 months, and suddenly a year has gone by, you will be shocked at the ways God has changed you in the next year. And my prayer for us is those two things his presence in our lives, and his purpose for our lives. That those would be the dominant themes of this coming year. It was 1968 in the Mexico City Olympic Games. And the closing ceremonies had just finished. The crowd was getting ready to go. The announcer came over the PA, asked everybody to sit down. Nobody knew why. The gates to the stadium opened, and in walked John Aquari. And the crowd was shocked because he was covered in blood from head to toe. And people recognized him as one of the marathon runners that had gotten lost during the race. He's covered head to toe in blood. What had happened to John was, was he had fallen about a mile into the race. He had dislocated his knee, dislocated his shoulder. He's covered in blood from a fall on his head. Woke up disoriented. When he fell, he got trampled by a bunch of other runners. And eventually he woke up. And hours after the other racers had finished, he stumbled across that line to a thunderous roar as though he was the marathon winner. He was whisked off to the hospital. And the next day, a sports journalist sits with him and asks him, John, you lost by like five hours. What compelled you to go forward? And all the pain, how difficult it was, all the hurt, all the injuries you had, you had gone through. And he said, listen, I'm from Tanzania. And my country did not send me over 5,000 miles to start a race, but to finish one. And I believe that there are some of us here today that know that feeling. We started the Christian life full of adrenaline, charged up and ready to go. But somewhere along the way, we tripped and fell. Maybe we tripped over our own feet. Maybe someone pushed us. Maybe you know what it's like to be trampled on by the people around you. And maybe you walked in here today wondering if you should get up or just give up. And I just want to ask, what if? What if this was the year that fear was replaced by peace? What if this was the year you made space for friendship and you had someone to call when life got hard? What if this was the year that the marriage was finally healed what if this was the year you were finally free of that sin that has nagged you for 30 years? Is that not worth doing whatever it takes? God has put his spirit inside of you. He has created you uniquely. 
He has drawn you to himself. He has awoken skills and gifts. And my friend, your story is not yet done. That I know that there are some of you that are sitting on the curb right now and you're wondering if you have the will to get up. And it will not be easy, but I believe God would say to you, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. A.W. Tozer says this, it will require a determined heart and more than a little courage to wrench ourselves loose from the grip of our times and return to biblical ways. But it can be done. I just remind you what you know, that your story is not over, that God did not intend for you merely to start the race of this Christian life, but to keep moving towards that finish line where one day you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Super simple. What are we going to do? Over the next few weeks, I would encourage you to create time for time. Reflection. Get a, get a sense for where you are right now. Be prepared for the attack of the enemy as you leave your past mistakes at the cross. And then we prioritize the plan for spiritual growth. I believe if we'll do those things, then we can achieve what we set out to do this year. To see a year marked by presence and purpose. More of his presence in our lives and more of his purpose for our lives. Are you in? Yeah. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you that you love us where we are, but you never leave us where we are. God, right now, that as we look out at the landscape of a new year, the horizon a new chapter, a new season. God, I thank you that there is more for us this year, more of your presence, more being used by you. God, I, right now I pray for the person who's trying to drum up the courage to believe that you could have this for them. The person who has sat here year after year, made these resolutions to do better, God, and just can't really wonder if this is a year where actual change happens. God, I thank you that by the power of the, your spirit, you can actually change us. God, I pray that this would be the year that you do it. And so I pray for courage for the weary heart. God, I pray that you would stir us to action, believing that we are not done yet, that we are not walking in the fullness of what you have for us, Lord, and that you have more. God, not out of guilt and shame, but out of invitation, out of, out of your desire to see your sons and daughter flourish. God, I pray that for those of us sitting in the courtroom, we would walk out right now, walk in the freedom that you have offered us, would you stir us, God? I just pray for a new ache in our spirits for you, a new desire to be with you. God, renewed hunger. God, shake us from our sleep. Shake us from our slumber. God, wake us up to the reality that you are real, that eternity is real, that this life is short. God, allow us just to lay off the distractions that are stealing our appetite for you, God. I pray that we would be faithful to do our part, that we would lay aside a couple of hours, Lord, and invite you to speak to us. And that out of that, God, you would help us figure out where you want us to grow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. We love you. Yeah, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's sing. 
Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97,000, and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.